0: Strategic Hotbox with Dr. Brandy Love Stankovic. Discussing leadership, business, and how to take control of your life and achieve greatness. From the streets of Las Vegas, energized, informed, and never diluted. It's time to kick some ass
1: it's your girl Dr. Brandy Stankovic and we are back. Woo! I know I had to take a little bit of a hiatus and I wanted to have a special thank you to all of you, our faithful followers, subscribers that hung in there, that have been around since the beginning and have been poking and prodding and saying, you know, we need more. Well, I got you. We're going to have a little bit more here. And we have a very special guest with us today, Alex Arnold, AKA Crash, <laughs> from Crash Customs, is going to join us as well. If this is your first time on the Strategic Hot Box, we learn, we love, and we kick ass. In the learn section, we're going to talk to somebody who's an expert in their field and talk about things that they've learned, lessons learned over the years. And then, love, of course, talk about the importance of relationships and business and how we can choose love with one another and continue to build and grow communities. And then finally, of course, as always, we're going to leave you with some kick-ass takeaways, something that you can execute on and start doing differently today. So let's get into it. I'm really excited. One yeah, thing sweet. that's really cool with this that new episode format, and the fact that we're back and better than ever, is now some of the episodes are going to be on-site. Boots in the Dirt, but on some rusty metal <laughs> in, in a shop. We're coming to you live from the Crash Customs garage and shop here in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, some of you that are watching may know that I have a 1956 F-100. And it was my dad's. Okay. And it... Uh, is something that's been in the family a very long time since the '60s. I think he bought it, and I just grew up with this truck. And then my brothers worked on it, my dad's worked on it, my ex-husband even had it in the garage for a number of years. And then in the last couple of years, I decided I'm going to do this. I'm going to re, re, kind of recreate. <laughs> I'm going to have it Finish. have it worked I, on. I Obviously, <laughs> these aren't, uh, aren't my terms, but uh, get work with the shop and have the, the vehicle rebuilt. And it's been at minimum a labor of love. And the reason I wanted to kind of start with this is it's a very expensive hobby for anybody that's considering (laughs) classic cars.
0: Cars are stupid. But
1: it also is this, the idea that as a single mom, as a female working or having my vehicle worked on in um, an auto shop, there's also a certain level of trust. And I've gone through it where I cannot trust the people I work with. And then I've gone through it where I can. And uh, Crash has actually worked on The 56. And how do you then, to kind of start us off, build trust? Or is trust important in what you do?
0: Uh, hugely. And thank you for having me on the show. And you're just coming back. So that's that's huge. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's the first podcast I've done, so this is great. Excellent. But uh, uh, building, I feel like I've always built my whole business based on my word, Mm. my word and my reputation is everything. And in the car world, you know, especially starting off, I moved to Vegas a handful of years ago and didn't really have a clientele and started doing this. And so it's extremely important to just know that like everything that you're going to do, you're going to represent yourself and your word and like everything that you're going to do, what you say and Mm -hmm. and take care of your your clients and your customers. Otherwise you don't have repeat business. Mm -hmm. Now there's shops out there that have big names and they have, you know, big fancy sponsors and they might have a big fancy showroom and they can show off a lot of nonsense. But at the end of the day, like it's the work that's going to bring you ba- or bring back your customers. Mm-hmm. So, so quality. So, I mean, I, I, at this point, uh, 75 to 80% of my work is all like referral based or re- repeat customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everything else is, you know, I make a lot of stuff off of like social media and stuff, but again, that's other people posting cause I'm terrible at social media. So, mm-hmm. uh, so you have to make sure that it, everything that you do, um, you it's, it's like a super cliche thing to say, but like under promise and over deliver. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to be on top of that all the time for sure.
1: So when it comes to trust, what are some ways that you, so from a customer or consumer perspective, I feel like communication, transparency, uh, even a little instruction in a way that's not patronizing are ways that I end up trusting that things mm-hmm. get done, as well as like you said, delivering on what is, uh, right. is promised. What are some other ways that you build that?
0: So that's difficult. Uh, I'm actually, uh, I'm not the best at uh, always communicating exactly 100% what I'm doing because I've been doing this for a a very long time. Uh, And I I think in terms of technical terms. Mm. So explain to customers. I know we went through it when I was first working on your truck. I would explain to you like. The, you know, the cubic inch of the leaders or what transmission you had, what rear, rear end, what gear ratio, what spring rate, you know, what your ride height was going to be, what your pinion angle, like all of these things. I've that, already
1: lost interest.
0: <laughs> that mean, you know, almost nothing <laughs> yeah. to people that are just going to be driving vehicles, but it's everything to somebody who's going to be building a vehicle. So sure. I do a lot of times get kind of lost in those details, but uh, I understand like when someone's like, no, I just don't know what that means. Right. Uh, you know, I try to like you know, just stop and take a break and sit down. And I'm always wanting to be like, if you want to come check out the car, like sit, work, work with me, you know, yeah, schedule it. Don't just drop by. (laughs) Uh But uh, if you want to come by, I'm always willing to like, hey, come by, see what's going on. I'll let you know, like the work that's going into it. And then, you know, as far as like letting know, letting everybody know what the work is actually happening. Right. I try to communicate everything so they know, like, you know, when someone says like, oh, the car vehicle just needs a motor. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, just needs a motor also means generally, you know, it means motor mounts, transmission mounts, wiring, accessories, brackets, carburetors, right. fuel or uh, mm-hmm. uh, water in or, um, uh, circulation. You know, it needs everything. It's not just a motor. Right. So it's like details like that mm-hmm. where it sounds really simple and then trying to explain those things really helps people feel better about, you know, I sent them a bill and say, hey, it took me you know, 12 hours to, to drop a brand new motor in your car. Right. Explaining those details really helps them figure it out
1: and understand it. I think in a way that they can, uh, and I I imagine different people come in with different levels of understanding too. Absolutely. And then there's a certain amount of art that comes into what you do. There's an art form in a sense. You aren't just fixing vehicles. You're, chopping them and recreating yeah. them and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and also in the fact that it's a classic environment, there isn't just things you can just go out and buy and replace all the time either. yeah right? yeah
0: there's no book on it really. Uh, a lot of the classic stuff that I do uh, my specialty is metal fabrication. Mm-hmm. so I like to do customs where I either chop a top or uh, you know section a vehicle or we'll do custom suspension or we'll put airbags on it or mm-hmm. put a motor that was never meant to be in that vehicle in there changing the whole drivetrain. So I do a lot of things like that, uh, and there's really no book on a lot of the things that I do. So in a general flat rate mechanic shop, when you take your brand new two, 2022, 2023 vehicle to the shop, they know like, hey, this needs a transmission. That's gonna take six hours. Here's what we charge for it. Sure in a custom environment you never really know because it's a, lo- a lot of it has never been done and if it has been done people aren't documenting exactly how long it took and exactly right. the parts that they're using or the pieces or the labor or everything else so it's always good to like let people know like hey this is these are going to be the issues and here's what I'm doing now if i'm doing custom metalwork like like a chop top on this uh, this is a 1941 international sitting behind us uh, we took six and a half inches out of the roof of this car Hmm. and then we put suicide doors on it. So those doors open the opposite direction. There's no book on this. I don't know anybody who's done this to this vehicle. And then we put it on the wrong chassis. So we put it on a, uh, it was a 2000 S10 chassis. Hmm. So everything is a question mark on this. So we never know exactly what it's going to take. I've got a rough idea, Mm -hmm. but then you run into speed bumps along the way. So it's really important to have a, a, a customer and a client that's willing to you know, see the obstacles and kind of know what goes into it and know that all the TV shows that tell you, you can build a car in two days. Yeah. In, in 30 minutes or Uh, the hour long TV show. mm -hmm. That's not a realistic expectation.
1: Well, I think being realistic makes sense. And I also, uh, speaking of that, want to address the fact that your name is crash. I mean, how does one acquire (laughs) a a name like crash and any of your customers ever go, don't crash my car?
0: Yeah, all the time. And so almost everybody, every time they're like, oh, your name is Crash and you build cars, like, uh, that's probably not a good sign. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've also, I actually never crashed anybody's cars. That's um, good. I've been, I got one accident when I was 16 years old and never since then. But when I moved to Vegas, uh, I didn't know anybody. I was kind of adopted by a big group of people out here. They're called the Rumble Cats. They're a vintage motor club that started in 1995. Uh, and there's a big family out here of members. Uh, and I didn't know anybody, but they brought me in. I brought a bunch of classics with me. I started hanging out with these guys. And as I was going through the process of joining the club, I went through a short period of time where I was just all thumbs for some reason. I like, (laughs) I broke everything and it wasn't vehicles, but it was just being clumsy. Like I fell through one of the brothers windows, Oh um, dropped a couple bottles at a party one time. Just, it was just silly stuff where I was breaking things left and right. And they were like, this dude just crashes into everything. And so they were like, all right, man, it's going to be it's gonna be Crash. And I, I, at first I hated the name. I really did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I couldn't stand it. And I was like, wait a minute. If you're going to call me Crash, can we at least spell it with a K? <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, the reason for the K is uh, uh, custom culture has been a big thing since the 1960s. It started back in California, Southern California. It was a bunch of people that... Uh, a bunch of old school hot rodders that had returned from uh, all, all the wars. They had come back from, you know, World War II and then Vietnam where it really got really big. Where uh-huh. these, these military men were coming back from these higher general situations and they started taking big motors and putting them in tiny cars or building their own things. And it was all, it's called lowbrow work. It's mm-hmm. lowbrow, like not classically trained mechanics or artists or anything. And they were just throwing everything into this culture. And at this culture at this time, it was also big rockabilly. There was, you know, there were bikers in it. There were car guys. It was cuff jeans, slick back hair. And all. Everybody's just trying to go fast. Mm-hmm. And then nobody was a classically trained artist. So there was always like crazy artwork on the side of it. Uh, and that is known as the custom culture movement. So custom culture is something that I try to promote and keep going. Through, and they use Ks. Through everything. And custom culture is always spelled with a K. It's custom and culture both spelled with a K.
1: So, so as we brought came it in, into the business. Yeah, so
0: I said, oh, if I'm going to be called Crash, I'm going to be Crash with a K. And then customs is also going to be with a K. Always, yeah.
1: Do any customers ever piss you off? So when I, and what I do in consulting, there are times where you work with a difficult customer or a difficult member, or a difficult client. And there's times where you just have to suck it up because that's the nature of life. And then there's other times where there's a conscious decision to say, Hey, this doesn't align with the values of my business, or it doesn't make sense for us to work together in the future. It's pretty rare on my end to have that kind of hard line, but, mm-hmm. but it's happened. Does that ever happen with you?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Customers, uh, again, because of like the TV stuff that goes on, expectations are usually really, really high. And Mm -hmm. so when they realize the time and effort and money and like, you know, all about it, like, you know, I've been, you know, you've been around a lot and seeing everything that's gone on with your vehicle through all of the people that have worked on it Mm -hmm. and the expense and cars are stupid. It's, (laughs) it's a horrible investment. If you want to get your money out of a custom vehicle and you're not doing a hundred percent of the work yourself, Mm -hmm. it's an extremely expensive hobby to get into.
1: So you don't get your money out.
0: You don't saying. get your money. Out. So
1: I'm not going to make the amount of money that I've put in. You're not going to make the
0: money out of the vehicle. Oh, okay. But if you love it, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a passion project and mm-hmm. it's something that you've always wanted, you want to have, you're going to keep forever, then it's worth it of because it you'll is, have a yeah. one of a, your, your truck is going to be one of a kind. Nobody's going to have your truck mm-hmm. and you've got a lot of sentimental value. It was your right. dad's truck. You know, he mm-hmm. had it since you were a kid, you remember riding in mm-hmm. this thing. So, so a lot of that uh, accounts for that on you guys, but it's important for people to have those expectations. Now, some people don't, and they rely on the idea that this TV show—they built it in 30 days.
1: Yeah.
0: And hit my
1: ride. I think is even yeah. one of the coolest ones back in the Pimp day. Pimp my
0: ride. Yeah, maybe. Okay. <laughs> I don't put TVs in anything. Else.
1: Yeah. Well, I just remember maybe it's the '90s that are getting to me. I don't know.
0: But yeah, no. There's a lot of a lot of shows that just create realistic, unrealistic expectations. Sure. Right. And so it's it's important to set those. And for people that. You know, when they get their first, second, third bill, and they're like, wait a minute, we should be almost done at this point after three weeks. Right. And you're like, "We well, you just can't do this. So then it's that's when it's time to set them down and be like, look, this is the this is the work, this is the labor, right? and this is everything that goes into it. And sometimes people at that point realize that it's more than they want to get into, and it's pretty easy to cut ties at that point. Sure. Other times, I do a lot of work for friends.
1: Yeah. And I do a lot of work for friends that
0: easy. I really love to do the work, mm-hmm. and... There's a, there's kind of a give and take where if I really love the project, I'll do a little bit more for a little bit less. Yeah. But I still, at the end of the day, it's my business, it's my livelihood. And yeah, I turned my passion and my hobby where mm-hmm. I used to just hang out with my friends and wrench on cars. Right. But now it's my job and my business. So when I sit down it's with a somebody. It's balance for sure. And I'm like, Hey, now I got to charge you. And mm-hmm. they're like, well, Hey, we used to do this for free 10 years ago. I'm like, right. But now this is how I live. Yeah. So. So sometimes we have to cut that line
1: and I think that uh, I do a lot of work with friends or they be, clients become friends too happens a lot mm-hmm. and I think that there's always that any entrepreneurial person I think would feel this way that it's sometimes it's hard to set a standard for charging and that kind of thing and I know I've been people have pushed me in places and looked back and gone you that wasn't fair mm-hmm. you know to push and and but it is part of business part of growing it's part of growing a business and, and being an entrepreneur is having that having that balance what do you have, you obviously have employed different people in the different businesses that you've had over, over the years. Yeah. Um, I know when I think about employees, the number one thing to me is loyalty. It I can teach them how to do most of the work, although I'm a very impatient teacher. <laughs> Anybody that's watching, kinda, you guys know. No. Yeah, they know. They know. Um, but it also I'm bad at delegating. I think, but it it that you can teach somebody how to do some of that. It's that whole. I know that Southwest said that hire for attitude, train for skill, and pe- I find that to be somewhat horseshit because anymore, you don't even get somebody coming across your desk, a resume coming across your desk unless it has certain attributes.
0: Right. But,
1: but it is important in the fact that um, the, the experience that we have with one another is so, so critical because when you really want to get the work done, then you're having to put in with that, that individual. What do you look yeah. for in an employee?
0: That's tough. Um... Uh, I'm not an easy person to work for, hmm. and I know I can't know that. imagine
1: that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not because my expectations are really high. Mm. Um, I've been self-employed or haven't had a boss or somebody actually dictating what I'm doing um, since I was very young, since I was in my very early 20s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started my own company when I was all, just before I turned 23, and I've gone this long, and it's like, I only eat when I work.
1: Yeah. You know, so
0: so everything is based on me working my ass off in order to figure out how to make everything happen. Mm -hmm. And I've grown and progressed and done these things. So I kind of I take that uh, that work ethic and I I kind of just assume that everybody should have that and I expect it. Right. And I know that not everybody It's actually pretty
1: uncommon, I feel like.
0: I mean, maybe now, but maybe people should just work harder.
1: Well, I'm with you on that. I completely (laughs) agree. But it actually is one of those attributes of people that you don't find very often because when shit needs to get done or when shit hits the fan, it's all hands on deck, period. Right. Like, and that should be a just a known expectation. Like I've yeah. never, maybe I've just never had the luxury of having a clock in, clock out job. Right. And so it requires that level of, of engagement or loyalty. But I think that, that that isn't a quality that all people have. A lot no, of people feel entitled. Not.
0: And I try to find some something in the medium. I You know, I want somebody that's, qualified to do the job, but I also, I have a lot of experience, whether it's the actual fabrication side of stuff, or it's the mechanic side of stuff, where it's wiring, whether it's you know mm-hmm. interior, like I kind of have a, a broad spectrum of like I can kind of run the gambit on all the vehicles, right. and all, all the vehicle aspects. So I can teach somebody, but I need them to be able to work hard, and I expect a lot from an employee. Yeah. So it's relatively difficult, and at, right now you know, I've, I've had people work for me off and on, mm-hmm. but I honestly find it's better, if I just handle everything, I know it's going to be perfect, and I know I can put my name so on
1: that So that you're kind of a control freak, kind uh, perfectionist. Maybe, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah maybe. And I Again, think that... I'm very
0: hard to work for, but I'm aware.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and I think that knowing that when you do something, it's going to turn out in a certain way. But you also brought up something that I think is really important, too, and that's hunger. And we've had conversations about this before until an entrepreneur has... Uh, not been able to eat if they don't work, then people don't understand that concept either the previous company that I was with we used to talk about all the all the time in the fact that unless we 're out on the road working, no one 's paychecks are being paid we can't just rely on mm-hmm. this mystical man to to pay everything you know, we 've got to work to make that happen and the more money that we make, the more money the the team makes yeah, et cetera
0: absolutely yeah same thing you know the the more we the more work we do as a collective as the you know because I, I have had employees. In this shop, and the more work we do, we all make more money.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I've I've thrown it out there to employees in the past where I'm like, hey, like all you want to work, I will pay you for everything that you want to do. Yeah. But how many people want to work more than forty hours a week? How many people wanna show up early and stay late? Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people wanna do that sort of thing anymore.
1: Yeah.
0: And you know, I'm still a relatively small business. You know, I've got this like, you know, two thousand square foot shop mm-hmm. where I don't have AC in here. Mm -hmm. I don't have a heater in the winter. Mm -hmm. So we work when it's cold and we work when it's hot. Right. And sometimes it's miserable. Yeah. But to me, this is my livelihood and I still love what I do. Sure. A lot of people, like they want to be more comfortable. They want, you know, the the luxuries Mm -hmm. that aren't necessarily provided when you're doing a custom car um, in in this type of environment. Mm -hmm. So... But, no, it no, comes, but it comes with other yeah.
1: flexibilities and things too. Like the, you get to choose the projects that you're working on. Absolutely. You get to, if you want to work more on one day or less than another, you have that, mm-hmm. that, that option. And I think that hunger is, is a critical component to all of it is, is people really wanting to yeah, do it. Yeah, you
0: have to want it. You have and, to really want and it. And everybody always assumes that because I'm self-employed and I turned my passion that I've been into since I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Since I turned that into my profession, they're like, oh my God, it must be great. All you do is you just love every day. You just do what you love every single day. And I'm like, sunshine
1: and rainbows and shit, right? Oh my
0: God, there's so (laughs) many days where I just hate cars. Yeah. And, you know, I work on everybody else's cars. I work on customer cars. I work on my friend's cars. I work on my friend's friend's cars. Uh, And my cars are broken down right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, well, it's you know? so true, it's like that in any position. Like
1: I know that I never take my own advice in, in yeah. business and growth and things. I recently posted on social media about the, cause there's that saying that you, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life, right? Mm-hmm. And I just think that's complete bullshit. Nonsense. It's Because the fact that it's still hard work, that no matter how much I love it and no matter how much goes into it or how much at the end of it it's rewarding or, or being able to give back, it's still, it's still hard work.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's a pain in the ass all the time. And I love what I do like 75, maybe 80, 80% of the time, tops. Mm-hmm. Because it was a passion, a hobby, now a profession. Now I have to do it. Yeah. And having to do something is never fun. When you don't want to do it, when it's a hobby, you don't have to do it. You just, you do it when you enjoy it. When it's a profession, you don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. So you get out and you have to do things, uh, and luckily for me, since I am, you know, a relatively small business, I can kind of control when I, when I take in new customers, new clients, new builds, new projects, mm-hmm. uh, and then sometimes I just need to take a break.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, and I'll take a break, you know, not extended periods of time, but like you know, I'll take a week and maybe I'll build, uh, design and build some custom furniture, or I like to design like what I, we have here, like what you we're know, sitting see. on now. Everything, I, everything we're sitting on our table now are mm-hmm. I built out of car parts and an old oil barrel. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'll st- I'll take some time to do that, and that kind of refreshes me. It kind of gets the creative stuff flowing a little bit more, yeah. and then I can jump back in to building cars. Because I do, at the end of the day, I love building cars. I love putting these things on the road. I love keeping this old school custom culture alive. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I just want to beat my head against the wall. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And uh, for those that are just listening or, or for those that are just listening, you may want to head out to YouTube or any of the other platforms and watch some of this because there is a pretty cool vehicle behind us. We are sitting in and around some furniture that he created and we'll post some of that on social media as well. So you'll have to check that out. So you were just saying though that, that some of these things kind of bother you, et cetera. What ultimately pisses you off in business?
0: Um, uh, when's it going to be done? When it's when it's a custom project, is it kind of like when
1: the kids are in the backseat and they're like, How "Are we there long? yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet?" <laughs> How much yeah. longer? Absolutely. My answer to that is always six hours. <laughs> uh,
0: so I grew up. My old man always used to tell me, "Closer than we were five minutes ago."
1: Oh hey. That I was like always that his too. answer. No yeah. matter
0: what, it was always closer than we were five minutes ago. So that's my biggest pet peeve when it's a custom project and there's really no there's no guarantee on the time frame. Yeah. Sometimes something that may seem straightforward, especially like. You know, we're sitting behind this, or in front of this uh, 41 International that I chopped, and then behind the cameras is actually a 51 Merc that I chopped. Mm -hmm. But in the middle of the chop here, this guy decided instead of it being a four-door, he wanted it to be a two-door.
1: Naturally. Obviously.
0: That's a a good time. He's like, all you got to do is just cut the door out and make one longer and the other shorter and weld it all together. I'm like, yeah. I mean, so, and now it's, well, when's it going to be done? When's it going to be done? When's it going to be done? I'm like, well... There's no playbook on this, like I was talking about earlier. There's, mm-hmm. there's, no, there's no book to tell me like cutting this, sectioning this, adding this, and then custom creating, custom fabricating all mm-hmm. of this metal. There's no way to tell 100%. Mm-hmm. I might run into a rust patch that I have to cut out, and it might take me two hours. Mm-hmm. It might take me eight hours. Mm-hmm. And then, when you put the car back together,
1: never. Yeah. I've
0: spent six hours leveling a door mm-hmm. on a vehicle that was twisted, in order to get the door jams all the way to look right. So the door opens and closes nicely. It's things like that where you should just be able to bolt it on because door, put it on the hinges, close it, you're good to go. Right. But a car that's sat for 70, 80 years. Sure.
1: Weather. You, you might
0: have to. You might I actually, you know, I take a tool sometimes and I put it inside the vehicle and I'll twist and shift the entire body of the vehicle. Wow. And I need to make sure that I do that in a slow process so I don't tear the sheet metal in this 80-year-old vehicle. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things that just you never know how long it's going to take. So my biggest pet peeve ever is when is it going to be done?
1: Well, I, uh, I actually <laughs> feel for you because, I mean, even I can't put together even IKEA furniture. And when I do, it never fails. <laughs> there's extra parts and things left over. And I'm like, hmm. What do you suppose that thing, that was for, right? Yeah. I swear it always happens. So I couldn't even imagine in a way that, and plus I would imagine some of the build is in your head too. Yeah, and absolutely. it's because it has that artistic flow. Do you have any funny stories or something you could share? Uh,
0: I mean, funny, it's funny now, but uh, there's definitely been some times that cars get so frustrating that it's conical. Mm. Um, so I actually have a friend, uh, and he's on his way over now. And hopefully we can do some cool stuff with his car here in a little bit. But, um, I built this car from scratch for him. He's been towing it around for 15 years. It's a 1938 Chevy business coupe. We chopped it. I did all the sheet metal on it. We put it on a different chassis, cool motor, cool trans, cool rear end, did everything all the way around on it. But he didn't have the biggest budget in the world on this car, Mm -hmm. but he's a really good friend of mine. He does a lot of my tattoo work for me. So as we were building the car, I kind of went through and I was like, well, bro, I'm like, you know, I've been building these cars for a long time. I have a lot of parts sitting around Mm -hmm. that I've collected over the years that are extras or leftovers or whatever. So every time I would try to give him a part, I'd be like, cool, dude, I'll just save you like three or 400 bucks on this part. I'd give it to him. And for some reason, that part didn't work on his vehicle. Mm -hmm. But this happened over and over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. To where it was like I always thought I was helping him out, and we would we would hang out. And he, again, he's one of my good friends. So normally it, it's like the kind of work where we hang out and drink beer, and then just like yeah. get some bolt-on stuff on his car. So you don't but drink n- beer
1: normally, is what you're saying? Nev-
0: never, ever. Right. not okay. when I'm working. Okay. No, mm-hmm. yeah. So <laughs> working on a vehicle like that, and so I was like, "Oh, that's cool, bro. You want a new intake manifold? Cool. I got two sitting on the shelf. Let's no. just throw one of these on there." Didn't work for whatever reason, mm-hmm. and come to find out, his car had been modified. Everything else had been modified so far to the point that everything was custom. It was built only on one platform with all these rare parts, so nothing else worked. It took us about six months to do what probably should have taken a week. Mm. Just because I was like, I got this part, let's try this. No, I got this part, let's try this. And let's modify this and change this and change that. And we, at the end, we almost just trashed the vehicle. We were almost completely done with just it. Just
1: like, fuck this thing. And he's
0: still, to this day, anytime that I have a friend or somebody or a customer that's like, hey, do you have any parts? I'm like, yeah, I got a couple on the shelf. He will say, like, don't trust his parts. <laughs> Nothing's going to work. So it's funny now to mm-hmm. look back and, and laugh at. But there were so many times we're throwing wrenches and just pissed off at the end of the day. And we're like, you know, F this car.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. Do you know what's funny now in a story that happened between you and I is... Uh, right before Viva. So th- for anybody that's that's listening, watching, um, I don't get the chance to drive classic vehicles very often, right? I mean, anymore, it's hard to even find a manual uh, stick shift vehicle, period. Anybody has newer vehicles. And so I grew up... But you up, had to have one. So. I, well, yeah. That, it, the truck was one. I'm going to maintain <laughs> that. I wanted that. And uh, so I grew up learning how to drive stick, but I hadn't driven stick on a... Th- a big old beefy motor like this one. So it was my second time ever driving the vehicle. And uh, it was right before Viva. And so you had a lot of cars you were finishing up to get to the car mm-hmm. show. And I came over to go on a test drive. and uh, And somebody had bled the brakes or done something to the brakes. Right, prior to that, and you got underneath the car. Yeah,
0: you almost killed me.
1: To, yeah. I did not almost kill you, but I got underneath the car to No, move. I got underneath the car. Yes, you you got, were in the car. Yes, yeah. right. You got underneath to, to move um, so I could drive off. And you're like, foot on the brake. Foot, My foot my foot was on the brake. I don't know if it was. <laughs> and it kind of rolled.
0: Yeah, almost killed me. Yeah, it,
1: but turned out that... Turned
0: out that, the, yeah, there was some air in the brake lines.
1: Yeah, so it yeah. wasn't my fault. Uh, yeah. I mean you weren't happy. You did you did treat it like I had almost <laughs> Oh my
0: god I, I my life flashed before my oh, eyes. Oh yeah. whatever.
1: <laughs> whatever.
0: Yeah, stuff like that happens. All, I mean, it, and it is, it's part of it. it. Like I said, there's no there's no rule, there's no book on any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's still, you know, like as much as you can find out on Google now, mm-hmm. which is great because uh, even when I started, which wasn't terribly long ago, there was still the internet, but I started doing this when I was about 15, 16 years old. And There was the internet, but it wasn't as widely available now. So I used to go to car shows, and I would go to car shows with my broke-down 60 Cadillac or just go in, like, whatever modern vehicle. Sometimes I didn't even have a car that would run Mm because I couldn't get my car running. So I'd take a bus or I'd walk to a car show, and I'd hang out with the old guys. The old guys with the really cool customs, the really cool classics – And I'd sit there and I remember like dating girls when I was younger back then. I'd take them to these car shows or get a ride from them to the car shows. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And they'd get mad at me because I'd sit there with the old guys Mm. all day long, eight hours. To just learn from them. And just ask questions. Yeah. Because they're that knowledge that those old guys have, mm-hmm. that that's gonna disappear.
1: Yeah, you can't Because those I, that. those
0: guys aren't lo- uploading or like going. Yeah, they're on. not
1: social media influencers. No. Right.
0: No. So all that information, like we have to collect that information, we have to keep that up to date. Which is why, you know, I'm still relatively young in this game. Mm-hmm. And so f- to keep these things alive, like all that information is super important.
1: Yeah. So did you get into this business for the chicks?
0: <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> No, I hear I it. mean, I thought it would be great. I thought it would be like, chicks are going to dig these cars. They don't. They don't. Uh, and to be perfectly honest, I always joke around that... It's um, more of a dude magnet. Yeah, it's a dick magnet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, I, I say that, yeah, my car's a dick magnet. And it's true because, you know, honestly, like until a car is finished and shiny and has a nice paint job and a nice interior and you could just take a girl for a ride in it you have no problems, mm-hmm. They don't. women don't care about your car. Chicks don't care about your car. Mm-hmm. But you pull up to a show with a car... This loud as hell and it's rumbling and it's shaking and you're doing burnouts. <laughs> of course, every guy's gonna come up to you at the show and they wanna know what kind of motor you're running, what gear ratio, what trans, mm-hmm. like well, everything you've well, done Well it works to
1: out it. for me. When I've been on the at the gas station in, in the know. 56, yeah, yeah. the guys also Yeah, your,
0: your truck's a dick magnet, so <laughs> that's gonna work <laughs> great for you. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so
1: answer this uh, these this blank for me, if you would. If I could, I would blank every day. So answer it for you. If you could, you would blank every day.
0: If I could, I would I don't even know. That's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Every day. Something I want to do every day. I used to think build cars, and so now I don't want to do that every single day. <laughs> um if I could, I would I would wake up when I wanted every day and I would work on what I wanted every day. But it's not realistic.
1: Yeah. And that's, so that's hard. the world would be a better place if
0: the world would be a better place if people just got off their ass and did some work. I yeah, I, mean. I think I think people uh, in like today's society, like like uh, men are men, women are women, and it's, it's so confusing. But like, if everybody just got off their ass and just shut up and did some work, mm-hmm. everything would be so much better. Mm-hmm. Like, can we just get back to where everybody's working hard and can be proud of what they're what they've done at the end of the day, mm-hmm. and not superficially proud, not proud because everybody on social media told them that they were doing awesome, or that they got a bunch of likes on whatever they did for the day, but actually proud of what they did. Mm -hmm. I think the world would be a better place if everyone could say that.
1: I agree. With that in mind, let's head out to our shout out.
0: Hey, this is Josh Allison. I'm talking about Brandy on the Strategic Hotbox podcast. Awesome, check it
1: out. Check it out, guys, come on in, come on. Come on, come on. guys! Brandy. Welcome back from the shout out. And thank you so much to Joshua Allison for sending us that energetic shout out from downtown Long Beach. Uh, We miss you and thank you for that. And thank you to you for being here today with us. And now it's my favorite time. It's the best part of the whole episode, the whole Mm -hmm. podcast.
0: Yeah, I still don't know about this. So.
1: Now it's time to kick some ass. <laughs> okay. So we're going to share some kick-ass takeaways. So if you could leave all the listeners and watchers with uh, some words of advice, some words of wisdom, what would that be?
0: Oh man, um, I think I kind of touched on it before. It's just like get out and do something. Get like literally just go do something. Uh, the, a lot of people just sit around and they don't aren't aren't active in like whatever they want to do whatever they're passionate about like find your find your passion i know it's a kind of a cliche thing to say Mm -hmm. but find what you're actually passionate about what brings you joy Mm -hmm. and go out and chase it and do that Mm -hmm. and i don't mean i don't mean like if you're really passionate about watching tv sit and watch tv no i mean like go find something active to to be productive try Mm -hmm. to Try to find a way to contribute to everything and build something for yourself.
1: And to your point though, do something because I think so often people are off on these journeys to find themselves or to find their passion and aren't working in the interim. Go do, go. Yeah,
0: no, you can't be, you can't, just be aimless in anything that you're doing. You have to have a set goal and figure out ways to get to your goal. Mm-hmm. You should always have an, an end goal in sight and that should always be changing too. Mm-hmm. So when you get close to your goal, you need to, you need to be like, shit, I didn't set my goal far enough. Mm-hmm. So you exceed your you extend your goal. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, A lot of people will be like, well, I want to make $100,000 a year. Well, when you start making $60,000, dollars $80,000 a year, you shouldn't stop and be like, well, when I hit 100, I'm going to take it easy because you'll start taking it easy at 80%. Yeah. Well, what you should be doing is when you hit 80 grand a year, you should be like, well, I need to make a million dollars a year. And then mm-hmm. when you get to $800,000 a year, you should be like, I need to make $500 million a year. You should be always, always chasing something. The next, yeah. Otherwise, you get you get lazy, you get complacent, it'll take Stagnant. you forever to, to reach your goal. So get mm-hmm. out, do something, be passionate about it, and and realize that it's going to be hard. Yeah. It's not easy to do this. It's not easy to be self-employed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's not easy to chase your goals,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but it's rewarding.
1: Yeah. So do something, find your passion, evolve as you accomplish your goals. But we also-
0: That's a natural byproduct. Yeah. That's gonna happen, you're gonna get better. If you're Mm -hmm. chasing it and you're you're actually putting everything into it, you're working hard, you're gonna get better and you're gonna feel better.
1: But it sounds like having fun is part of the process too. You have
0: to, and you will though. That's Mm -hmm. the thing is you will. All of those things will come. If you go out there searching just to have fun with your life, you're gonna have a rough time come yeah. you know, a couple months in, a couple years in, whatever. You're, gonna, you're not gonna feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. If you're chasing something that you're really passionate about and you really can like at the end of the day have something rewarding that you've done, you're gonna feel so much better about it. And when you do that and you're really fucking working hard,
1: mm-hmm.
0: then all the fun times come.
1: Yeah, it naturally happens. It naturally happens. And I think happens. that the only other thing that I really feel like we talked about today that kind of brings it together is to check your ego, that sometimes work's going to suck. Sometimes you're going to have to do the mm-hmm. shit work. Sometimes you're going to have to do parts of projects that you don't like or work with people that we don't like. Oh, we've got to let that go and keep working.
0: So check your ego, yes, but also know that you can do anything and like be confident oh. in yourself to do that. So, so it's a you balance have to, it, of being. It's 100%. There's this weird dichotomy there mm-hmm. that you have to be... So egotistical to think that you can create. Is that what you just keep telling
1: yourself? So Absolutely, you can continue, every single day. To every single
0: day. Every single day. Because you, ha- I, I mean, if I, if I didn't believe in myself, I wouldn't be where right. I am here. I've had, uh, you know, friends, family, everything from my past life from before I, before I moved to Vegas and did everything that I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. I literally had almost everybody in my life telling me that I would be nothing, and I would never create anything, and I was gonna be in trouble. And you know, I've had like you know, kind of a scarred past. And so nobody really trusted me and believed in me, but I believed in myself more than anybody. And luckily I had, you know, I had somebody on my side for a while that also believed in me. Mm-hmm. But if I didn't have that faith in myself, I would never be where I am now. But also you do have to check it because you know, people I bring into work for me, sometimes they're like, well, I don't wanna, I don't wanna do, for lack of a better word, they're like, I don't wanna do the bitch work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't wanna do the nonsense. And I'm like, well, I've been doing this on my own for five years. Right. Who do you think's doing it when you're not here? Right. I'm doing all the dirty, grimy, everything. I do 100% of all of it. Yeah. So you have to have that like, I'm going. Humility. I, you have to be a strong enough personality to tell everybody to fuck off, that you're going you're gonna to succeed no matter what. And then on the other end, you also have to be humble enough to know that you have to do the bullshit. You, mm-hmm. You're not just going to be on top of the world all the time. Sometimes you're going to be down here and it's going to be rough. It's going to be exhausting. You're going to be fucking tired. You're not going to want to get up and do it, but you have to. Mm-hmm. So you, you have to have that, that balance for sure.
1: Well, I believe in you.
0: <laughs> oh, shucks.
1: Thank you so much for being here and part of the podcast. Thank yeah, you for thank being you. part of our relaunch. Thank you so much. And as always, I want to remind everybody the Strategic Hop Box is available anywhere you want to watch it. Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, YouTube, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, just anywhere that you can consume it, we're there for you. Also, if you'd like to hear any topics or know some good guests, hit us up at podcast at or head out to our website And don't forget to check out all the behind the scenes (laughs) on social media of all the things that we're about to get into here. Uh, And we're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, at Strategic Hot Box and at Brandy Love, B-R-A-N-D-I-L-U-V. And if people want to get a hold of you, how do they do that?
0: Uh, I'm on Instagram at just uh, at Crash Customs. uh, And I also have a website, CrashCustoms.com. So that's a pretty easy way to get a hold of me.
1: Well, thank you very much for being a part of it. Thank you to all of you for being here. And until I see you again, get out there and kick some ass.